0: Welcome to the New Life Podcast. Here we want you to experience the grace of God. So through this sermon, we hope to come alongside you as you grow in your relationship with Jesus. To learn more about New Life, please visit our website at newlifeonline.org. Here's today's message. So, today we're continuing on in our series that's called Supporting Cast. And we've been looking at some what might be considered minor characters who were supporting the bigger characters. People like... Peter, people like Paul, people like Moses, people like Abraham, the names that everyone knows. And sometimes some of these minor supporting cast characters are people we don't even know. And we've talked about people like Barnabas, uh, Ananias, we've talked about Joseph of Arimathea, uh, Leah, Achan, and then last week we talked about uh, the story in the Old Testament of Naaman, the guy who had to dip himself in the Jordan River seven times. But He's not the supporting cast in that one. The hero of that story is the slave girl. The slave girl who said, hey, Naaman, uh, talking to his wife, he needs to go to Israel and be cured. She spoke up at great risk. She was an admirable hero of the story. So we know that success in the kingdom of God doesn't depend upon famous people. Famous people may very well let us down. But it's people behind the scenes. And here's kind of a key takeaway for today. So says, some of the strongest and most effective leaders in Christian ministry are men and women who are not up front, but who are operating behind the scenes. Let me say that again. Some of the strongest and most effective leaders in Christian ministry are men and women who are not up front, but who are operating behind the scenes. Now, as an example of that, we have a service here for volunteers because during this service, the volunteers are working with our children. But also, another good example is the unseen people back running the sound and the PowerPoint and the lights. They are not upfront people, but their job is to make the people on the stage, including me, look good. Um, that's their job and they do a great job at it, but don't expect them to get to one of the accolades or be upfront. Um, but if it weren't for those people working unselfishly behind the scenes, Ministry just wouldn't happen around this place. So today we are going to focus on another supporting cast, and that is Andrew, one of the 12 disciples. Now it's interesting that we would highlight one of the 12 disciples, and if you know, amongst the, even amongst the 12, there was kind of the inner circle of four, one of which was Andrew. So it's unusual that we're taking a guy that's in the inner core of the 12 disciples and using him as a supporting cast. And I bet if, you, if I were to ask you, what do you know about Andrew? What can you tell us about Andrew? Your reaction might be like mine was earlier this week. It's like, well, I'm not really sure. Um... But then as you watch the news and you watch sports, you see there's a golf tournament going on in Scotland. And guess where that's at? St. Andrews, one of the premier golf courses in the world, St. Andrews. But I bet if you went to the 18th hole of St. Andrews and you took a poll of everybody who finished the 18th hole, you would ask them, who's St. Andrew?" And I bet 98% of them would say, well, I don't know, they just named this golf course after him and call him Saint. But Saint must be like his first name or something. Um, so, but when you start to study Andrew, that we're going to do here today, you realize the Bible doesn't say a lot about him, but he's a very important person. He lived, he lived life in the shadow of his older brother, Peter, Simon Peter. Everybody knows about Peter, usually, from the Scripture. Peter wrote books in the Bible. Peter gave great speeches in the Bible. But they don't know much about Andrew because Andrew operated in the shadow of his older brother. Now, I know what that's like because I have an older brother. I grew up, I have an older brother who's 12 years older than I am. His name is Brett. And when I was a kid, I idolized my older brother, Brett. Brett. Uh, I had a t-shirt, well, I had two t-shirts I wore all summer. When one got dirty after two or three weeks, I would switch. Uh, One was a Davy Crockett shirt, and the other was a shirt of a Marine in his dress uniform that said, my brother, that's Brett, is a Marine. And I wore that because I was so proud of my brother. And my brother got out of the Marines, he went to law school, and that's when I said, I'm going to law school. Because my brother's going to law school. So I followed him years after he did. He went into the practice of law. I began to practice with my brother. He became a judge. And for years, I was known as Brett Bode's brother. They didn't know my name. They knew I was Brett Bode's brother. So I operated in the shadow of my brother for years. So I know what Andrew was like here when he would see his older brother have success and do some things, but he was kind of in the background. So, but this is, when we study the book of Andrew or study the person of Andrew, it's an encouragement to us ordinary people that we, God can use minor players in a major way. Maybe not up front, maybe they don't get all the accolades and get all the notice, but they stand tall in God's working in the world. So today we're going to study two occasions, two encounters of Andrew here that were highlighted in the Bible. The first is this, when Andrew meets Jesus. Now to give you a little background, Andrew and his older brother, Peter, were fishermen. They operated a fishing business on the Sea of Galilee. And they weren't educated people, but they had this fishing business. And during this time that they had their fishing business, John the Baptist was around and about out in the desert. Remember, he's preaching and teaching and eating wild locusts, and he dressed in camel hair, kind of an unusual fellow. But he was a rabbi, so to speak, and he developed a following, and his followers were called disciples. A rabbi had a disciples. And Andrew was one of those disciples of John the Baptist. So when we first meet Andrew, he's a disciple of John the Baptist. So here's what we read in John chapter one. It says the next day John, that's John the Baptist, was there again with two of his disciples. We know one of them is Andrew. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, "Look, the Lamb of God." When the two disciples heard them, heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, "What do you want?" They said, "Rabbi," which means "teacher, where are you staying?" Come, he replied, and you will see. So they went and saw where he was staying, and they spent that day with him. It was about four in the afternoon. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what John had said and who had followed Jesus. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, we have found the Messiah, that is the Christ, and he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which when translated is Peter. So there's our first meeting with Andrew. And so what do we notice about that? You know, we see a progression here. They're following John the Baptist as his disciples, as good disciples follow a rabbi. And John the Baptist points to Jesus and says, There's Jesus, the Lamb of God. And if you were a person living at that time, you would have known, if you were a good Jewish kid, you would have known the Lamb of God meant there's the Messiah, there's somebody important. So Andrew and this other unnamed disciple get out of line, they, go, they start to follow Jesus, they're going to check Jesus out. And you notice Jesus asks, asks them kind of an interesting question, he says, what do you want? And they say, well, where are you staying? That was the, that was the question. So Jesus invites them to follow him to his home. And they spend the day together. Now, this is really fascinating to me and fascinating to us because we don't know what went on that afternoon, but if you can imagine these two people, one of which is Andrew, sitting perhaps around a table with Jesus, talking for the, better, for the rest of the day. Andrew didn't write a book of the Bible, so we don't know what they spoke about. Wasn't it fascinating to think, What was that conversation with Jesus? What would it be like to spend an afternoon sitting around talking with Jesus? We know it it was very impactful because it says the first thing Andrew does was goes goes and gets his brother. And he says, we have found the Messiah. And then perhaps the crowning passage in, in, the crowning verse in this passage, it says, and he brought him to Jesus. He brought him to Jesus. That's Andrew. Brings his brother to Jesus. So we learn that Andrew is one of the first. He really was the first disciple to follow Jesus. And he was responsible for introducing his more dominant brother, Peter, to Christ. Now, let's look at encounter number two. Feeding. This is the feeding of the 5,000. And you know the story. Jesus... Uh, multiplies bread. We're going to read it here, and he feeds over 5,000 people. Here's the story in John chapter 6, five chapters after we first meet Andrew. It says this. Sometime after this, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee, that is, the Sea of Tiberias. And a great crowd of people followed him because they had saw the signs he had performed by healing the sick. Then Jesus went up on a mountainside and sat down with his disciples. The Jewish Passover festival was near. When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Peter, or excuse me, he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? And here's an interesting passage. He asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. Philip answered him. It would take more than a half year's wages to buy enough bread for every each one to even have a bite. Another of the disciples, here's our guy Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Here's a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish. But how far will they go with among so many? Jesus said, "Have the people sit down." There was plenty of grass in the place, and they sat down. About five thousand men were there. Now. If there's 5,000 men were there, that were there, we can only imagine the crowd could have swelled maybe up to 10,000 or more. Big crowd. We know the rest of the story. Jesus took the loaves. He blessed them, and they multiplied. The fish multiplied. The bread multiplied. Pretty soon, everybody had what they wanted to eat, and there was tons of leftovers. A miracle took place because Andrew brought that little boy to Jesus and said, Here's something anyway. So what do we know about this incident? Again, Andrew's noticed as Simon Peter's brother. He's second fiddle to his brother. And it's curious that I read that part. Jesus already knew what he was going to do. We're going to come back to that. But uh, when he says, he looks at Philip and says, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? It said he asked us only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. We're going to come back to that. That's a, that's a critical passage there. So what's Andrew's role here in this feeding of the 5,000? How does that contrast with Philip? You know, Philip says it'd take more than a half a year's wages to buy enough bread for each person to have even one bite. Philip, now let me back up. This, if you look at the context of this, this is, it's at the Passover. It's one year before Jesus is put to death at the Passover time. So these disciples have been following Jesus for probably two years. It says earlier that the crowd gathered on the mountaintop because they had seen the miracles Jesus had done. So why wasn't Philip more attuned to Jesus' miraculous powers? I don't know the answer to that. Jesus, it says he did this to test him. But Philip is the half glass half empty kind of guy. You know, I don't know. This is a problem. We're doomed. I don't know how we're going to do this. But up steps Andrew. Andrew is the glass half full kind of guy. He's not exactly sure how or what's going to happen, but he says, uh, like as if to say, I don't know. Uh, here's a boy. He apparently got a boy, brought him to Jesus, and said, "Here's a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish, and there's ten thousand people out there." Andrew is a possibility kind of thinker. Uh, He's the guy that is not afraid to pray. Who knows? Uh, You know, we need to be people to pray the who knows kind of prayer, where we say, "God, I don't know. I'm in a tough spot." Life is difficult. I got these insurmountable problems before me, my health, my finances, my marriage, whatever it is. But who knows? Got your God, and you can perform miracles. Who knows? Andrew's the guy that prays. I don't know what the deal is here. We've got all these people and we got two small little fish here, but you know, who knows? Your God, who knows? He never wanted to count Jesus out. Andrew seemed to instinctively know that he was not wasting Jesus' time by bringing him this young lad with such a paltry gift. Because this, it's not the greatness of the gift that counts, but rather the greatness of the God to whom it was given. Let me say that again, because that applies to our life and what we can bring to the table, so to speak, in terms of ministry. It's not the greatness of the gift that counts, but it's the greatness of God to whom it was given and that's exactly what happened here the gift is in this one is so insignificant it would barely feed one person but because of the greatness of God over 5000 up to 10000 people were fed so Jesus is faced with 5 to 10000 hungry people and nothing except this insignificant little bread and fish and before that even comes, he says, where are we buying bread for these people to eat? Now, when you read that, we know the answer because it tells us, but why would Jesus say that? Did he not know what? He says he did that to test, Pete, to test Philip. You know, Jesus could have uh, done a miracle, like waved his hand over the crowd, and Grubhub would immediately show up. And everyone would have whatever they wanted to eat, as much as they wanted to eat. That's Jesus. He could have done it that way. Why did he do it this way? He invites responses from his followers to see where they're at and to see the level of their faith. A test to see the level of their faith where they were at. And he gets two answers. Philip, there's no way. And Andrew says, there is a way. Perhaps. And this is one of the takeaways for us is Jesus invited and Philip and Andrew into his mission. He could have done it himself. He didn't need these guys to do his to feed these people, but he invited them in and they were part of the miracle. And he does that for us today as well. He invites us to join him and he uses us in his mission to accomplish what he wants to accomplish. He wants to use each and every one of us, just like he wanted to use his disciples. You know, it's a little bit dated, but there's a song by Casting Crowns, and this line is hanging in my study at home. It says this, How refreshing to know you don't need me. How amazing to find that you want me. Now, here's what that means to me, is how refreshing to know you don't need me. God doesn't need me and anything I do. He doesn't need any of us. He can do whatever he wants. But it's amazing. He chooses to allow us to be his partner, to use us and allow us to partner with him to accomplish what he wants to accomplish. He doesn't need us. He didn't need us. He didn't need these guys for feeding 5,000 people, but he involved his disciples in his mission. And he invites us to be part of his mission and his, to be an incredible journey as we, the kingdom of God moves forward. Philip says, no way. Andrew says, there might be a way. You know, oftentimes we look at ourselves and we think, we don't have much to offer, God. I don't have any gifts. I was not there when you handed out talents and spiritual gifts, and I don't have anything to offer, or I got a little bit to offer, but it ain't much. Um, that's exactly what Andrew, where Andrew was at when he offered the boy and five small loaves and two small fish. And God used what little, what little Andrew was able to muster up with this lad and he fed five to ten thousand people. So off, so we, you need to look at yourself. What can you offer to God? Let God have it and he can multiply it beyond your dreams. Now I want to conclude here with two important takeaways from this. First of all, Let's debunk the myth that sharing your faith in Jesus Christ is difficult. That's a lie. Take a lesson from Andrew. Here's Andrew's method of personal evangelism. Here it is. Get people to encounter Jesus and then stand back and get out of the way. Have people meet Jesus. It's not a burden on us. You don't have to know everything. You don't have to plan everything. You don't have to strategize. All you've got to do is let people meet Jesus. Peter says, or Andrew goes to Peter and says, Hey, Peter, we have found the Messiah. Come and see. Andrew finds this young guy with fish and loaves, and he says, Come here. I want you to meet Jesus. And he brings the boy to Jesus, and the rest is history. Uh, Sometimes the most important and effective aspect of sharing your faith is on the personal level. Most people come to Christ because of the influence of an individual. It's what some would call the invitational method. Come and see. Bring people to Jesus and let God do the rest. Get out of the way sometimes. So Andrew is an example that never underestimate the value of befriending just one person and bringing him or her to meet Jesus and then stand out of the way and let God do the rest what he can do. Second takeaway, or the second lesson, the humility of being a support person. You know, support people, like I mentioned about the sound and the lights and the video, they make others look good in their supporting role, but don't ask them to respond, to step up front. Andrew was willing to operate in his big brother's shadow. You can imagine when he got he found Peter, he says, wait till God gets a hold of Peter because this guy is a dominant guy. He's a leader. He's a speaker. And God's going to get a hold of him. It'll be fantastic. But unlike his brother Peter, Andrew never preached to a crowd of thousands or stirred the masses of people. But remember, never forget, it was Andrew who introduced Peter to Christ. Now, a couple... Several weeks ago, I spoke on this in this series, and I read about Edward Kimball, and I love the story so much, I'm going to read it again, because Edward Kimball is one of those people that no one knows who Edward Kimball is, but here's the story of Edward Kimball. It says, "'It was the year 1858 in the city of Boston. Edward Kimball was a young Sunday school teacher who made it a habit to personally give each student in his class an opportunity to accept Christ as their Savior.'" He was concerned about one of his students who worked in a shoe store. One day, Kimball visited the young man at the store where he found him in the back stocking shelves, and there he led him to Christ. That student was Dwight L. Moody, who eventually left the shoe business to become one of the greatest evangelists of all time. Most people know who Dwight Moody is, Moody Bible Institute, but Edward Kimball is relatively obscure. But Edward Kimball led that guy to the Lord. And you can imagine, uh, or in the, in, the, in the providence of God, Andrew's act of faithfulness in bringing his brother to Christ was an individual act that led to the conversion of thousands of people. Remember in the, in the book of Acts, in, the, in chapter 3, it's Pentecost. Peter is speaking to the multitudes. And it says, when he was done speaking, 3,000 people were saved. Now, you can imagine, if you were to go back there to see Andrew sitting off to the side, watching with pride as his brother Peter delivers the message that results in thousands of people coming to Christ. He is a spiritual grandfather and great-grandfather to many, many people. And it's kind of started with Andrew telling his brother... Come and see the Messiah. And it says, and he brought Peter to Jesus. That's the kind of guy Andrew is. Some of the most, it gets back to the takeaway I mentioned. Now, let me read it again. Some of the strongest and most effective leaders in Christian ministry are men and women who are not up front, but who are operating behind the scenes. And, you know, as far as we know, Andrew never preached to multitudes or founded any churches. He never wrote a book of the Bible. A matter of fact, he isn't even mentioned in the book of Acts or in any other books in the New Testament. But thank God for people like Andrew. They're the quiet individuals, laboring faithfully, inconspicuously, giving sacrificial gifts. They're the ones who accomplish a great amount for the Lord. They don't get much recognition, but they don't seek it. They don't want it. The only thing they want is the same thing we want is for the Lord to say to us one day, well done. And that's what Andrew, I'm sure, heard.